about uh, just a, a, a couple that had um, separated in their relationship due to the Word of God. And I think it's, it was very interesting and so timely that this story was shared to me was because this is exactly what happens here in Ezra chapter 10. You see, the nation of Israel, what they did is that they went and they started to marry these women that were following pagan gods, and which these pagan women now, so to speak, were leading them now to pagan worship or idolatry, right? And I think it's always amazing when you have a, the Word of God go forth like a sword, right? And it divides and it cuts and it convicts through the Holy Spirit. And it does all of that and it causes people to even uh, pull out or put away these relationships that are leading to idolatry or that are leading to sin because they're choosing to say, I'd rather be right with God than be right with another person that doesn't honor God. You see, it's been so many times where that, that same story has been repeated, has repeated itself and over and over again because men and women have decided to say, I'd rather stand next to the Lord than stand next to someone that doesn't follow the Lord. And one of the things that we're going to go over here in chapter 10 as we now conclude Ezra today is how much freedom there is in forgiveness. Have you ever carried a burden unnecessarily? And I think sometimes we do that. We carry a burden unnecessarily that God wants to take that burden from us, but we are unwilling to give that burden up. And, and the way that we can give that burden up is by simply confessing it and giving it to the Lord. Say, Lord, I don't want to walk around with the guilt or the shame or the burden of this sin any longer. I choose to give this up so that I can grow in my relationship with you. And what I love about this is that we're going to learn the freedom in forgiveness. There's so much freedom in forgiveness. But for forgiveness to take place, confession must first happen. And I want you to remember that and take note of that. For forgiveness to take place, confession must first happen. Because confession is really what consecrates you or what separates you now to live a life of holiness. I love what confession does. I love that we can come before the throne of grace and confess because when we confess, we feel that that load of sin and of guilt and of shame is casted out to the Lord now and we feel free and we feel forgiven. You see, we see today that the Holy Spirit here, Ezra, a type of the Holy Spirit that ushers in the Word of God, is now praying now for these people that have entered these relationships that don't honor God. And I think relationships are so important in life because really they determine what's important to you and how you dedicate your life and your time and your heart and your mind. But these relationships were drawing these people to idolatry. But you see here that as they start to confess, it opens the door now to revival. It opens the door now to restoration, confession. It opens the door to healing. And I think that when we don't confess, we're putting a lid on healing. We're saying, you know what, I'd rather not heal right now because I don't want to confess. But when you confess, it's like the Spirit of God is just flowing now out of your life freely. And you're able to be ministered by Him and be used for Him. But it starts with confession. Have you remembered what the Lord's Prayer says? What does the Lord's Prayer include? Forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. What is that? That's confession. What does that mean? That when Christ taught us to pray, 
He taught us to include confession in our prayer. And for prayer to be effective, for prayer to fully do its work and its power, it must include confession. I, I think that's amazing. When you go to prayer, your prayer life must include confession. Your prayer life must include confession or else you're missing out on the power of prayer. If your prayer life is not including confession like the psalmist would confess repeatedly, King David, in the songs that he would sing, I don't think that we would know those songs if he didn't have a heart that would confess before the Lord and come to the throne of grace to find mercy and help in the time of need. What is it? When does that confession happen? It happens in prayer. Because prayer changes the heart of man. Prayer changes the heart of man. You see? That's what it does. And why does it change the heart of man? Because it lays the foundation, prayer, to repentance. It really lays the foundation, prayer to repentance. And prayer, in essence, is where revival is then built on. You have prayer. That's the foundation now. The confession and prayer is the foundation now to repentance. And then you can build on that repentance, revival. Yeah, a lot of times we try to see revival... Without prayer, it won't happen. You try to see revival without confession, it will not happen. You try to see revival without repentance, it will not take place. You see, when you carry your daily, you're, you're daily carrying your cross, it also means you're daily confessing at the cross. Because the cross is the place of repentance, that means that confession needs to take place. And what I like about Ezra here is that he doesn't make excuses, he takes ownership, he doesn't downplay the sin, but he says, I take ownership because the best leaders are those that don't make excuses. They don't make excuses. They don't blame it, sin, as a byproduct of something else. I think that now in today's world, we're blaming our sin on something else that is out of our control. That's not, that, is, that has absolutely nothing to do with my control, that sin. Yes, it does. There's a core issue here. But look what it says in Ezra chapter 10 verse 1. And the power line starts here in verse 1. Now, while Ezra was praying, comma. This, there, is, there it is. Talk about having an urgency to come on Friday night to pray. Now, while Ezra was praying, comma, an example of a leader. You want to see revival happen? Now, we'll, now, while John was praying, comma. Now, while Mary was praying, comma. Now, while Jose was praying, comma. It always happens while you're praying. It doesn't happen while you're not praying. It always happens while you are praying. You want to see revival happen? It's going to happen while, during, in the time of prayer. When you enter your closet, look how he's praying though. He's praying like he's dedicated to prayer. He's not praying like someone made him pray. He's praying because he feels he needs to pray. You see, that, that's, that's what's so important in prayer. When you come to prayer, and I want you to understand this because I think that sometimes we have this all mixed up, that we think we're doing someone a favor by coming to prayer. <laughs> no, you're, you're doing yourself a disservice by not coming. <laughs> the only person that you're hurting by not coming to pray is yourself. You're not hurting anyone else. You're, held, you're hurting you. And I think sometimes we think that we are good when not praying. No, the only person that's being affected when you don't pray is you. <laughs> So you ought to pray. 
And look what it says here. Now, while Ezra was praying, and while, not only was he praying, but while he was confessing. What an example. Let us pray. Number two, let us confess. Because confession lets you stay, take a step closer to Christ, closer to restoration, closer to rebuilding, closer to being refreshed in His presence. While he was praying, while he was confessing, let, check out what else he's doing while he's weeping and bowing down before the house of God. A very large assembly of men and women and children gathered him from Israel, from the people who wept very bitterly. You know what that word bitterly means? Is that were, they were crying and they were filled with one thing, regret. Why were they filled with regret? Because they had been serving idolatry. But here you see that Ezra does what a man and a woman of God should do when they're moved by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts you and moves you to pray. And he says here that he was praying where? Before the house of God? This is amazing. That's where you can say, well, you know what? I can pray at home. No, where was he praying? It's that he went to the very house of God. He was praying at the house of God. That's the place where he came to pray to find safety. And it says that a large crowd of women and men gathered to him from Israel. And everyone started to weep bitterly. It didn't say that it was a small prayer meeting. It said that it was a large prayer meeting. This is amazing what happens here because he was confessing and then others started to follow. You see, John Trapp, he was an old Puritan preacher, said this about confession. He said, this is the soul's vomit, which is the hardest kind of physic, medicine, but health most healthiest of them all. This is the devil, this is what the devil knows. And therefore he holds the lips closed that the heart may not disburden itself by wholesome evacuation. You know what the enemy wants to do? Is to keep your lips closed. So that your heart does not empty itself or evacuate itself from that sin or that burden that you're carrying. When your lips are closed, guess what's also closed? Your heart is. And the enemy is going to do its, his best to keep your lips shut so that you don't confess it and you are now unburdened or you are now enslaved to that which is sin. Look what it says in verse 2 now. And Shekinah, the son of Jehel, the sons of Elam, spoke up. I love that this man comes and he speaks up because they're about to take ownership here. He's there, he spoke up and said to Ezra, We have trespassed, we have transgressed, we have been unfaithfully saying against our God and have taken pagan wives from the people of the land. Yet now there is hope in Israel in spite of this. Isn't that a promise right there? We have been unfaithful. We have taken here now pagan wives. We have taken and been a part of this relationship that should have been off limits. We have done this idolatry. We have trespassed. We did something we know we shouldn't have done. However, look what he says in verse 2. Yet now there is still hope in Israel in spite of this. Isn't that amazing that even if we've messed up so bad, that in spite of how bad and how far we have messed up, there is still hope? Sometimes we think there is no hope left. 
Here, this man comes and he says, we've matched up. We married these pagan women that we shouldn't have married. Now we're worshiping now pagan gods and idolatry. We have mixed in these mixed marriages. The situation is horrible now. But what does he say? In spite of this, there's still hope in Israel. And I want to tell you, in spite of whatever situation in your life, there is still hope in your life. That's amazing here in verse 2. In spite of this, there is hope. In spite that we, me and you, have messed up. In spite that we've blown it. In spite that there has been a past that has burdened us or, or caused us pain or inflicted us so much hurt, there is still hope in spite of that. Doesn't that really bless you where even we read in Romans where it says, even when we were dead, He still loved us. In spite of this, there is still hope. I think that this is so important that we understand because now in verse 3, now that he takes ownership of this and now that he looks at the promise of hope, he says in verse 3, now therefore, therefore, let's conclude this. Now therefore, let us make a covenant with our God. All right, we've, we've blown it. But what are we going to do now? We have an opportunity to do something. Now we have an opportunity, yes, a, a, a man will fall seven times, but a righteous man will stand back up, dust himself off and say, I'm running towards the mercy and the grace of God because that's where I belong. And look what it says here in verse 3. Now therefore, let us make a covenant. Let us make a promise with our God. Let's make a covenant. Let us renew our covenant. Let us recommit our covenant. Let us make a recommitment, a renewal of vows. I like the word covenant because it talks about a vow. It talks about a promise. Let me renew my vows with God. And it says, and we're going to do one thing before we renew our vows or before we recommit, we must do something. If we're going to be right with God, then we must first put away, it says here, let us put away all these wives and those who have been born to them according to the advice of my master. According to what you say, Ezra, we're going to do. And according to those who tremble at the commandment of our God, and those who fear the word of God, we're going to follow those people. Those who fear the word of God, let it be done according to the law. Whatever has come out of those marriages, even the children, any fruit, he's saying here at this moment in particular time, we are going to put away, or we're going to send away now, and we are going to follow those who fear God, and those who fear God's word. Why, why is it that he's referring to the word of God? Because Ezra taught them that this was the highest form of authority. It wasn't anything else. According to what you think, my master, we are going to now go to the word of God. According to the word of God is what we will do. And we're going to hear he's saying, send them away. Or he's literally saying, we're going to go out and divorce them. Because they're leading us away. You understand that, that his repentance here, what, what they're saying, what Ezra is, is implementing here, he's implementing full repentance, not partial. He's not saying, you know what, let's compromise. Let's just say we're going to keep the ones that we have right now. We're going to keep the idolatry that we have right now. And we're just not going to add any additional wives or any additional now uh, you know, idolatry. Sometimes we do that. Instead of separating ourselves, we say, you know what, we're, not just, gonna go, we're just not going to go any farther now. We'll just stay where we're at. And that's, that's not separation. And we have that mindset of saying, you know what, well, I'm just not going to go down that route anymore, but I'll keep everything that I have from that lifestyle. That's not consecration. You see, that's compromise. 
That's saying, I'm going to compromise or try to work the situation instead of saying, I'm going to bring my life in line with the Bible. And that's the goal. To bring your life in line with the Bible because there's still hope. To bring your life in line with the Bible because there's freedom and forgiveness and in confession and repentance. But verse 4, look what they tell now Ezra. Arise, stand up. Stand up, Ezra. Stand up. You're the leader now here. You're the leader here of the nation of Israel. You're the one that's guiding us. You see, we are always backslidden. We're always regressed. We're always stagnated when we choose not to confess to the Lord. And there is much more respect when we come to the Lord in confession. There's so much mercy available. There's so much grace available. Should we just come and confess before the Lord? I mean, don't you understand that when you confess, the Lord is not going to condemn you? There's so much safety and confession in the presence of God that you can feel comfortable confessing to Him. You don't have to be scared. In fact, He wants you to confess because He wants to make things right with you. He's, he's just so waiting. Can you please confess so that you, we can make things right? Can you just come and confess so that we can talk again? We can be on talking terms? Can you just finally confess now? There's so much grace and mercy available that He wants to offer you. It, 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 is, it is all you can have mercy. You just, you can't have enough of it. And He wants you to confess. But now he's telling here, arise, for this matter is your responsibility, Ezra. Stand up from kneeling down, Ezra. This is your responsibility. See, this is, uh, this is important because he, now they're telling Ezra, this matter is your duty to lead us, to tell us what we must do now. We are also with you. We also are with you. Be of good courage and do it. Think about the support that they're giving Ezra now. What is support are they giving him? They're saying, Ezra... Stand up. This is your responsibility. What do we have to do now? We messed up. But we're looking and we're watching and we're waiting. We're demonstrating the same humility that you are demonstrating. We're looking and following someone that's being led by the Spirit. And we're looking for leadership. So please do your duty. Stand up and lead us now. This is your responsibility. What should we do? We've messed it up. And look what the words that they offer. Think about the encouragement that they give Ezra here. They tell Ezra now, we're with you. They tell Ezra, be of good courage. And they tell Ezra, number three, do it. Man, those are three forms of encouragement that I think every leader must hear. Those are three forms of encouragement that maybe you need to share with someone. I'm with you. I'm with you. Be of good courage. And let's do it. <laughs> Well, think about how much farther we're going to get as spiritual men and women when we're saying, hey, I'm with you. You know, I'm with you. Take courage. Let's do it. And that's what they're doing. They are uniting now. Guess what prayer does? Not only does it revive, but you see revival takes place when people start getting united in prayer. When they start to come together and unite for the same cause that's going to honor God. And look at what the cause is. The cause is, let's get right with God. Let us unite to get right with God. This is the cause. And it started with one man praying started with a man praying, and it says here in verse 5, Then Ezra arose, now he was encouraged, and made the leaders and the priests, the Levites, and all Israel swear an oath that they would do according to the word, so they swore an oath. They said, all right, if this is serious, I want you to promise to stay close to the word of God. 
Yes, we've blown it, but there's still hope. Now we're going to stay close to the Word of God. And Ezra said, for the leaders, the Levites, and the priests, I want to order them, I want to demand to them that they understand that they're going to vow now to stay close to the Word of God. And this oath, it's almost as if they were raising their right hand now, so to speak, and they're saying, we promise that we're going to stay close and do according to this Word, according to the Word of God. Then Ezra, here it says, arose... From before the house of God and went into the chamber of Jehonanah, the son of Elishbit. And when he had come there, he ate no bread, drank no water, for he mourned because of the guilt of those from captivity. You know why he wasn't eating? Because he felt the guilt. He felt the heavy guilt. And how is it that he could think of as himself and his own personal needs when he knew that God was being dishonored? That's when you know a man of God or a woman of God is serious about God. When they cannot eat, I mean, they're saying, I can't even think of my personal needs because God is being dishonored. And if God is being dishonored, that is more important. That is a subject or a matter that is priority over my personal needs. It's not your personal needs and then God being honored. It's God being honored and then it's my personal needs. <laughs> That's what Ezra had straight. It is God being honored, then it's my personal needs. He was not looking to make an explanation. Oh God, it's because of this. This is why we're here. He was not trying to excuse the guilt. He was not seeking to make the crime look less severe or to downplay it. But he was fully acknowledging the human responsibility of his sin. He wasn't trying to make excuses or make it look like it wasn't really a bad situation. He's saying, no, it's a bad situation. <laughs> and that's exactly why I have to come and pray. Have you ever tried to make the situation look a little less worse than it really is <laughs> provide an explanation try to manipulate it by the way you present it to people so that hey I, i'm really not involved in sin i can still offer it on a platter that looks appealing and people will uh, uh, still follow me as a distinguished leader because i gave them an explanation and, it, and I, I so to speak wash my hands and now the, the the guilt is off of me he didn't even eat. He said, man, the, guilty, the guilt is so heavy, I'm not even going to eat. He took ownership of that guilt. You see, the best way here that we're going to learn to experience the mercy of God is to confess your sin. That's the best way to experience the mercy of God. Confess your sin. Because it is impossible to experience mercy without exercising confession. It's impossible to experience a mercy without exercising now confession or repentance. And what's important of this is that those believers and those men and women who confess their sins daily to God are those that, are those that experience God on a daily basis. <laughs> those that confess their sins daily are those that experience God daily. Lord, I want to experience you daily. Then confess your sin daily and you're going to experience now, God daily. And yes, it will take courage to confess, but we must be strong and act because once you're in the presence of God, He has made it so easy for us to confess because of how much mercy He has readily available to give to you. And understand, God doesn't show mercy because you deserve it. God doesn't show mercy because it wasn't that bad and you could deserve mercy. God doesn't show mercy because you deserve it. He, just, he shows mercy because He's good. That's part of his nature. He just can't deny that. That's just who he is. He wants to show mercy. He shows mercy to whoever he wants. 
He's God. He, he calls the shot. And, he, and the shot that he called was that he would show us mercy and that there is still hope. Now, in verse 7, it says, And they issued a proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem. Proclamation is almost like an order now. They issued an order here. It wasn't a suggestion. This is mandatory. This is required. I mean, I think that now more than ever in church, if you hear the word required, oh man, we have a mandatory meeting. Oh, oh so it turns people off in their ears. They just, I can't believe that church wants me to come because I'm required to be there. Think about these people. You want to see a revival? They say, we're going to get serious. We're going to get serious. And look what, I, this is almost, I mean, when I read this, I was studying it, it kind of, I just thought, man, there's some kind of humor in this. Because look what happens here. They issued a proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem to all descendants of captivity. They must gather at Jerusalem. They had to come. That word must. They must come. You better come. <laughs> he said, it says, and whoever would have not come in three days, think about this. Think about we say, you know, you have to come. And if you don't come, this is what's going to happen. This is, this is, man, this is really saying we want to get serious. This is a serious commitment. He said, if you don't come, according to the instructions of the leaders and the elders, all your property is going to be compensated. We're going to take your stuff. <laughs> Just think about that. If you don't show up, then we're going to go and take your stuff. What do you mean, take, take my stuff? We're going to take your stuff if you don't come. And look, that's what he's saying. We're going to confiscate. And he says, you have to come in three days. Not when you want. You're going to show up in three days because we're going to repent together. I think, I mean, there is something special that happens and powerful happens when the church starts to repent together. There is a unanimous flow of the Spirit of God. I mean, I heard about a, a university with these college students were at a chapel and the, this, the, uh, the pastor that day was talking about confession and repentance and how it opens the door for the Spirit of God to flow so freely in our lives. We would just confess and repent and, and, and hold on to the mercy of God. And after a young man stood up and said, you know what, I have a problem with pornography, pray for me. Another man stood up over there. I have a problem with alcohol, uh, uh, drinking and al uh, alcohol. Pray for me. And a young girl said, I have a problem with lying over there. I, I want you to pray for me. Those college students didn't leave that gymnasium for three days. They were confessing to God. And, and that was the beginning of a revival on that campus. Because people came ready to confess. I mean, think about it. If, I mean, that's why I think it's so important when we come to prayer. We open up your lips. You know who wants your lips to be closed is the enemy. <laughs> he, he will bring you to prayer. But then the other battle that we must win is to pray now <laughs> when we come to prayer. That's a battle. When you're thinking in your mind, I shouldn't pray, that's spiritual warfare. <laughs> I want you to know that I shouldn't pray right now. That's spiritual warfare. No, of course you should pray. The Lord wants you to pray. The Lord wants you to confess and come to Him. We should not harbor sin in our lives. We should come and repent. And it says, if you don't come, if you don't separate yourself, this is a serious commitment, we're going to confiscate your things. You see, you know the best way of following through when it comes to repentance and confession is by memorizing the Word of God and meditating on Scripture. Meditating on the Word of God, just letting it sit and wash your mind. What did the psalmist say, David? Your word have I hidden in my, in my heart that I might sin against you. I've put so much of your word in my heart, David said. 
that I'm not going to sin against the Lord because the Word of God is so implanted in me. It's embedded in who I am. It's a part of me. Now it's said in verse 9, So all the men of Judah and, and Benjamin gathered at Jerusalem within three days. <laughs> and it was the ninth month of the twentieth month, and the people sat in the open square of the house of God, trembling, not only because of this matter, not only were they shaking because of fear, but because it was cold, it was heavy rain. I mean, think about these people. They were serious about this. They were serious enough to be able to say, we're going to stand in heavy rain and want to confess before the Lord. We're willing to come when it's uncomfortable to come. We're willing to come when it's not convenient to come because we want to get things right with God. And when the Holy Spirit moves you, those excuses don't stop you. They're not going to say, oh man, you know, it's, it's, it's heavy rain. You know, we're actually not going to go today and pray. It's heavy rain and we're not going to go and confess. You see, they started to tremble because of the serious matter and because of the heavy rain. And they were serious. They're saying, we're going to get things right with God. We're either going to get things right with God or we're going to get things right with God. And look what it says in verse 10 now. Then Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, look, I love what Ezra does. Because he doesn't try to go and, and try to like tickle their ears, right? Because he, he sees them in heavy rain. And, and he doesn't say, you know what, we should, you know, you guys, let's, let's call it a day. It's, it's raining. He doesn't say, you know what, how can I retain them here because now they're here? How can I make this a user-friendly or, I'm sorry, a seeker-friendly message? How can I make it a seeker-friendly message where everyone approves and feels so good about this message that they want to come back again? Look what he says in verse 10. He stood up and said, you transgressed. And you have taken pagan wives, adding the guilt of Israel. You need some change, people. He's saying, you're guilty. Oh, nobody can, can think I'm guilty. Look, he's saying, no, you have transgressed. You have taken pagan wives. You are involved in idolatry. You are involved in sin. Yes, you are. He wants them to know. And why does he want them to know here? So in verse 11, they can do what they should do. You see, I love what Jesus said. You shall know the truth. This is the truth. Verse 11, and the truth shall set you free. Verse 11 here. Now therefore make confession, set you free. The truth is you're guilty. But verse 11, the truth shall set you free, make confession. And look at it says, make confession here in verse 11 to the, Lord your to the Lord your God of your fathers, number one, and do His will, number two. Do His will. Number one, confess. And number two, do His will. You have to confess and you have to do His will. Doing His will involves this next word that He describes here in verse 3. Separate yourselves from the people of the land and from pagan wives. Separation. Because confession leads to consecration. What is consecration? It means separation. It means holiness. It means you offering your life as a living sacrifice at the altar before the Lord. You cannot really confess or confession would really not be in vain or really not fulfill its purpose without repentance, without separation of sin. You can't say, Lord, I'm going to confess in this matter, but I'm still going to be involved in this circumstance. That's not real confession. Because guess what's going to happen? That's just in vain in that confession. Because if confession comes without corresponding repentance, without you really saying, I'm going to re repent now, then you're, all, you're, you're more than likely you're going to fall back in and you're not going to be able to do His will. This is essential that we here do one thing. 
that we confess, that we do His will, number two, and that we separate. That's His will, separation, holiness. God's will in our lives is holiness. It's holiness, it's holiness, it's holiness. Is that we would give up whatever we need to give up to be holy. Separate yourself from whatever you need to separate yourself to be holy. Whatever it takes. Because I'd rather be holy. Because you'd rather be holy. Right here, they're going to even separate themselves from their families. I mean, that, that's, that's a hard thing to ask someone. Because what did we say in our culture? Family first. And if our family's not happy with us, guess what? We feel like we're not a good family member. But what is it? Is it God first or family first? Because there can be times where we can idolize family. Think about what Peter asked the Lord. But Lord, what about us? <laughs> we gave up our family. We gave up our house. We gave up our job. We gave up. We forsook it for your sake. And the Lord said, there's not going to be any of them in the life to come, in eternal life, that didn't forsake this, that's going to get way more in return than what they forsook. Ask yourself, what have I forsaken to get closer to the Lord? Because you're, when you move things out of the way, guess what? It allows you and it gives you space to walk up to Christ even now more closer. What are the obstacles that are standing in your way that you have to get out of the way so you can get closer to the Lord? What have you forsaken for His sake? But because it says here now, verse 12, And all the assembly answered with a loud voice, Yes, as you have said, we must do. It didn't say they, they, they answered with a low voice. <laughs> it didn't say that only some of them answered. It said they answered with a loud voice. What was this? An evidence of the Holy Spirit. You can't make someone confess. You can't make someone repent. It's the Holy Spirit working. It's the Holy Spirit working. They said, yes. Just like you said, we will do. We're going to put away whatever we need to put away. And it says that they now all of a sudden with a loud voice said, yes, they did not say no. Has the Lord spoken to you by the Holy Spirit saying this is what you need to get rid of? And instead of saying yes, you say no. And the Lord is saying, okay, what else won't you give me? What else won't you give up for me? Because Ezra here, symbolic of the Holy Spirit, is speaking to them. And the Holy Spirit may be speaking to you right now. This is what you need to get rid of. And instead of you saying yes, you're saying no. Here these people said yes. But it says here in verse 13, But there are many people, and it is a season of heavy rain, nor we are not able to stand outside. <laughs> now these people understand, man, this is, the, the rain is too heavy. Nor is this work of one or two days. But for th there are many of us who have transgressed in this matter. They said, there's a lot of work to be done. It's not going to happen in two, one or two days. We need, to get we need to get this done the right way. Please. They were, and I, and I, you know what I love about this? is They weren't trying to rush this process. Have you ever tried to rush the process of repentance and confession? Because you think that, you know what? No, they're saying we're going to take our time when it comes to confession and repentance. And we're going to do it the right way. We're not just going to say, you know, a little quick prayer. No, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get things right the right way. We're going to take our time. One step at a time, slowly. One step at a time. Why? Because we want the Holy Spirit to do the work. We don't want to manipulate this situation. Please let the leaders of our entire assembly stand and let all those who are cities who have taken pagan wives come at an appointed time together with the elders, the judges of the city, until the fierce wrath of our God is turned away 
from us in this matter. Let the leaders come together. Let us set up some appointments. Let us come together and that they would be able to see the leaders act on behalf of everyone on a scheduled time so that God's anger may be turned away from us because of this sin. You see, it was necessary that they would come and by families, they would examine the situation in the household and whether to see if these wives had genuinely decided we're going to serve the Lord or and they're going to forsake their native religions or if a pagan wife decided, you know what, I'm going to keep my primary allegiance with her former now idolatry and people and idols. They were not to live among that community and they were now to be divorced at this situation. And you would ask yourself, well, the, the Lord doesn't condone that. That was in this Old Testament, you know, this is what the Lord said. You're not even going to, you cannot have no part with these people. You can't have, you have to separate yourself. In the New Testament, we see that the Lord said, don't even get into a situation where you have to get out of it. <laughs> the Lord warns us to not enter into a relationship where we let her on are going to have to get out of, right? In, in 1 Corinthians, as Paul would say, don't be unequally yoked, right? With someone that cannot lead you or, or, or with someone that cannot be there spiritually for you because then you're going to say, Lord, get me out of this. And most of the time when we say, Lord, get me out of this, it's because He didn't get you in it in the first place. Because you got yourself into it. And look what it says here now in these next verses. Verse 15, only jo Jonathan, the son of Asiel, and Jehazai, the son of Tikvah, opposed this, and Meshullam. And here, Shabbatai, the Levite, gave them support. These a little group of people started to now oppose. Because there's always someone that's going to oppose repentance. There's always going to be someone that's saying, no, we're not all going to go pray. No, we're not all going to go and confess. It's, it's one of the healthiest things in your spiritual walk is to confess. I, I encourage you tonight to go home and just s spend some quiet time with the Lord and confess. You will feel the burden. You will feel that cloud, that dark pit in that cloud that has been over you because of sin come off of you and you're going to feel the grace and the joy of the Lord be so renewed quickly. It's going to be so comforting because confession, although it's uncomfortable, it leads you to the most comfortable places in the Lord. I, this is, it's amazing. We need to confess. And it says here in verse 16, Then the descendants of the captivity did so. And Ezra the priest with certain heads of the father's household were set apart by the father's household, each of them by name. And they sat down in the first day of the tenth month to examine the matter. Underline that word, examine the matter, because that's what they were doing. The leaders they were that were representatives of the family, they came and they had to really examine the matter. Can you sit down and examine the matter and whether it's not that you do or do not have to put away this idolatry that's taking place? And it says here, on the first day of the, um, here, verse 17, by the first day of the first month, they finished questioning. They had to question them. Nobody wants to be questioned. We don't want to answer the hard question. That's what accountability means. Accountability means, not that somebody knows what you're doing. Accountability means that you're willing to answer the hard questions. That's what it really means. Are you willing to answer the hard questions when the Holy Spirit comes your way? And this is what happens here, because now in verse here 18, and, and, uh, and among those sons of the priests who had taken pagan wives, the following were found the sons of Jeshua, the sons of uh, here, 
Josedek and his brothers, Messiah, Eliezer, Zerub, and Gedaliah. Now it starts to name from verses 18 to verses 44, a list of names of those that not committed this sin only, but a list of names of those that confessed. And this is so refreshing because there is no shame to be on this list. I think sometimes we think, oh, there's going to be a shame if I'm on that list of confession. That is the most beautiful list you can be on. <laughs> because it means that you make things right with God. I think there should never be this stigma in the church that you should not feel comfortable enough to tell a brother or sister, I'm struggling with this. I need to confess it before the Lord. Can you pray for me? Because you're too scared that someone's going to look down upon you because you failed or you entered into temptation. That's horrible. That's self-righteous. That's not what the church is for. The church is for is to help us up and say, let's confess together. And let's see people be rebuilt. Let us put away idolatry. And in verse 19 it says, and they gave their promise. Can you give your promise today? Can we make a promise today that we are going to put away, not, not necessarily their wives, but put away anything that you need to put away. Can you make a promise before the Lord that you would put away here their wives and being guilty, they presented a ram of flock as their trespass offering. They came and they presented an offering to the Lord and they said, we are going to put away the stuff. We're going to make a promise. But see, does your name exist on the list of those that repented? Who's first in your life? You would ask yourself. Because your devotion must also precede the devotion of even your family. That it would be God first, more important than anything. Because if it's not, then you're idolizing your family and you're idolizing your wife. You could say, well, well Lord, I'm not going to put away this thing that's taking place between me and my wife. My wife's happy about it. Then I, you know, I'm, I want my, my, my wife to be happy. Uh, this is sin that's taking place. Well, I'm not going to challenge it. We must challenge sin. We must challenge sin. And we must not allow any unconfessed sin to be in our lives. You see, when we confess it, we give it to the Lord. We're saying we're, we're unwilling to I, I, uh, now be idolaters of this. We don't want to idolize our family. We do not want to do that. And you see that Ezra here from these verses, what does he do? He tells them to put away and he disappears now. Until the, now Nehemiah comes up. But he disappears and he starts the, here this book of Ezra and he finishes with the same thing. With a passion for the word of God. Ezra had a passion for the word of God. And that passion was that which brought people to repentance. It was a sword, the word of God, that convicted people through the Holy Spirit that allowed them to confess their sins. You see, the word of God, I want you to remember this. It's a sword. <laughs> It's a sword. Oh man, that message in the Word of God, it made me feel this way. It's a sword. It's supposed to make you feel that way. <laughs> what else is it? It's a sword for you to fight, for you to defend yourself, for you to grow, for you to lean on. It's a sword. If you were in a battle and you had a sword, would you feel safe? Absolutely. Then run to the sword. Run to the sword. Because the greatest now threat in our lives. And I want you to know, even for these people, the greatest threat in their life was not the things that was taking outwardly, that was taking out outside of their circumstances. That wasn't the greatest threat. The greatest threat was the things that were taking inwardly. The ones that they were unwilling to give up. The, the, the ones that they were unconfessed. Unconfessed sin will limit your growth. It will regress your growth. 
You see, we have to learn to be faithful to God from the inside out. That's what happens from the inside out. Because those that live in confession, those that live in repentance, are those that live for the glory of God. We must learn. I want to, we want to separate ourselves. And we're going to promise to say yes and separate ourselves from anything to do with idolatry. I'm going to read to you two verses before we end. And the first verse is found in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. This is a beautiful promise. When we talk about confession, when we talk about the hope, when we talk about repentance, it says, but if we confess our sins, this is amazing. Anytime I mess up, I go straight to this verse because it says, I say, Lord, it says it in your word that if I confess my sins, you're faithful. You're just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. I can come and be made clean. I can confess. Confession is my tool to get closer to the Lord. It's not what separates me from God. Confession is what gets me closer to Him. It's what allows me to experience His mercy. And that's why we must confess. You see, in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, when Peter was preaching, what did Peter say? Repent and be converted that your sins might be blotted out so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You know what the times of refreshings are? Are when the Holy Spirit, like a living water, like torrents of living water, are flowing through your life and through your heart and mind. It's refreshing. You want to be refreshed, let's repent. You can't be refreshed without being first repentant. You, want, you feel maybe you're in a dry season, maybe in a season where everything is just going through the motions. You're dull. You're stagnated. You're not growing. Start to confess. Start to repent. Start to pray. And watch that your confession, watch it lead, that confession, lead you to be refreshed. Because ref confession opens the, now, the gates of heaven, the floodgates of refreshing in the presence of God. Can we go to the Lord in confession? Because there's a promise to those that do that. And that's refreshment through the Holy Spirit. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, because we can come to confess. And we don't have to feel ashamed. We don't have to feel ashamed. Confession doesn't separate us from you. It gets us closer to you, Lord. We pray that we would utilize confession as a means to get closer, Lord as a means to get rehydrated with anointing, as a means of knowing you better. Those that confess are those that experience God. Lord, today we want to experience God. We thank you because you made it so easy. You didn't make it hard. You made it so easy to come to the throne of grace and confess. Lord, we are here because we want mercy we thank you because you offer it. You have so much available. I pray, Lord, that it would overflow in our lives. But that we would access it through confession and repentance. That it would be while we are praying. We pray this all in your name. It's in Jesus' name. Together we said.